Hey everyone, welcome to another week of Pastors of a Dying Church. This week's guest is Marty Solomon. Marty has a podcast by the name of Bama Discipleship, which him and co-host Brent Billings go through the entire Bible and teach some really great lessons starting at the very beginning in Genesis. It's a highly recommended podcast for sure, and I'm sure you'll learn a lot. If you want to learn more about the Bama Discipleship podcast, we have the link for you in the description. So without any further wait, here's Sam and Ruth. Welcome back to another episode of Pastors of a Dying Church. I am Sam. And I'm Ruth, and we're glad that you joined us today. Hey, uh, Sam, you remember, um, I don't know, a couple months ago, I was telling you that uh, Dylan, uh, I don't know how he even found this podcast, Bema. I think I was calling it Bema for a while, because I know mom <laughs> is called Bema, and you got to listen to these guys. It's uh, And so I, I kind of was telling you about it at first, that they just give insight to the scripture that I've never experienced before. Mm-hmm. So um, I told you about it, but you really weren't convinced. To, uh, let me check these guys out until, I don't know, a couple of days in, I started sounding a little different. Like you'd call and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I just can't get away from this podcast and the Bible. And I'm just sitting here finding myself just wanting to to know more because the more I learn, the more I know that I didn't know. And uh, you remember saying, man, Ruth, you sound like you're, you're in a new relationship. Like, who are you talking to? What are you doing? You sound like you're in love. And, I, and I'm like, I am. I am just completely amazed by how the Word of God has uh, just come alive in me. And I was beginning to see the Word of God almost like fresh. It was almost like a renewal in my, my mind, my heart. Just my whole life was just being transformed. And I just couldn't get away with it from it. It was just addictive. Remember me telling you that? And then I do, I do. It was good because it was the Old Testament all over again. Like I know when we first started out reading the Old Testament together, we really uh, went deep with that, but we couldn't find anybody else that really loved the Old Testament quite like we did because everybody was quite New Testament, you know, junkies or whatever. And so then just to hear the Old Testament come to life, like uh, these guys do. Yeah, was, like uh, our guest great. today. Yes. Who, I, we would have never guessed our, our dreamed in a million years that we would be able to personally talk to uh, this guy who he doesn't even realize how he has helped transform us and shape us from even from afar. Um, but the Lord would have it that we would be able to interview him. But it was beyond just the I mean, it's like the word of God came alive for me. And no longer did I see God as uh, someone that was, man, if I mess up, he's going to get me. Mm-hmm, um, right. like I, I could see that in the new Testament, but I am, I, I see it in the old Testament from beginning to the end. And it absolutely changed my life. I remember there was a mutual friend of ours too. And I was telling her, well, I began to tell everybody it was like, I'd gotten saved <laughs> for the very first time. Like you got to listen to this. The <laughs> word of God is real. God is real. And I've been saved for some time now, but, uh, I, I told her and, and, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. Some time went past. And she called me one day, like four days out of me telling her to listen to it. And when I picked up the phone, all I said was, you're welcome. Yeah. I didn't even say hello. And she's like, how did you know? I said, because it's done the same thing to me. So without much more of us gibbering about how this has transformed us, we uh, have this awesome opportunity to to thank this this individual that God has used mightily to transform our life and everybody that we encounter. Hey, listen to this Bama podcast because these guys, uh, Marty and Brent, man, they, they help you understand the word of God in a, in a brand new, fresh way. So um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for the work that you're doing for the Lord. And I know that there are other listeners that you are uh, transforming. 
uh, the God's transforming through the work that you guys are doing. So uh, if you don't mind, Marty, will you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do and a little bit of uh, how you come to be where you're at today and, and what we're exactly talking about. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Marty Solomon. Uh, married with two kids. I have a wife, Becky. We've been married for 15 and a half years now. We have a uh, older daughter, Abigail. She's 10, going on 10 and a half, and a nine-year-old son, Ezekiel. Um, I'm the president of Impact Campus Ministries, and I oversee a nationwide campus ministry planting organization. And um, my flavor of campus ministry, before I had this job, I was on the field doing campus ministry and we started this program called BEMA Discipleship. And um, and don't feel bad about saying it wrong, by the way. Let me just do a little PS here. <laughs> I, so I was I correct. Am, it's not well, BEMA, it's BEMA? Well, here's the thing. I am no Hebrew expert, and I still don't know exactly what's going on. I do know that today you'll hear them pronounce the platform that we name our podcast after, the BEMA. And the Bema is what sits up in the front of synagogue. It is their stage, so to speak. And in that first century, it was this elevated platform in the center of the synagogue. Now, whenever I said Bema, every Greek student I ever met always said, oh, the Bema judgment seat, the seat of judgment. Um, I know all about that. And so I was trying to distinguish between the Bema seat in the Greek and the Bema of Hebrew. And I remembered it being taught to me as Bema. So I know modern Hebrew speakers today will not pronounce it that way. They'll pronounce it much closer to how you're pronouncing it. So now I just pick and choose whatever I want to say. <laughs> whatever feels good I'll do the, the same. Thank you, Marty. So you can't be wrong, and I'm not sure we can be right either. So there you go. Oh, geez. That's good. But yeah, so that was my flavor of ministry that I started. It, it was a program where I, a teaching-centric program. I worked with college students trying to deconstruct our understanding of the scriptures. Uh, I had the wonderful opportunity. Um, let's see, that would have been... 2008, I began this journey, uh, being able to study with Ray Vanderlaan over in Israel and then in Turkey, deconstructing everything. I wanted to share that with my own students. And it kind of became a flipped classroom, which became a podcast, which became this thing that it is today. And I'm not really sure I even know what to do with it all, but it's it's definitely fun. And uh, it's a portion of what I do. It's not my whole job, but I sure enjoy the hours every week that I get to give to it. It's one of my favorite things that I get to do. Well, it's the highlight of our day. <laughs> and, and you actually pastor a church as well, right? Correct? Or maybe you used to? Uh, no. no, I I pastored a church for seven years before I, and then I went and, and helped pastor a church for four more before I got into campus ministry. I'm on the preaching team here at our local congregation. I'm preparing for a move coming up here in June. I'm going to be moving my family and I to Cincinnati. Ohio. So that's all kind of ch about to change. But I've always been able to partner with the teaching team and the leadership at our local church. So that's that's been a part that I've played. It's It's been kind of a pseudo staff role and you don't really know where we end and they begin. And I, it's beautiful that way. We enjoy it. So it's been good. You mentioned deconstructing around 2008. What brought that about? Oh, man, I'll try to give you the shorter and concise version. It's kind of essentially my uh, in a lot of ways, my testimony, but I had always grown up in the church, been raised in a church my whole life, Protestant church. Um, and uh, it just wasn't working for me. I had gone to Bible college. At that point, I was pastoring my first church. Um, I was about three. I was right in the middle of my time there. I was about three or four years in. I uh, had a student in my church go through a major life trauma, realized that I I had a theology that worked, and I hated it. Like, 
I had a theology that could explain it could explain every single nuance what he was going through, and I hated the God that was behind it. And so I was kind of going through my own, um, like I was not smoking what I was selling it was not good, and uh, ended up just through God's providence had some friends that introduced me to some new voices. And some of those new voices, one of them was Ray Vanderlaan, who I had kind of grown up on, but didn't really appreciate, didn't understand what I was listening to because I was a youth. And some kind of old memories started firing when I was studying him and got reconnected with him uh, because of our childhood connections. And then I got to go study with him for years. And um, and and that uh, I, I was desperate for a new lens because the lenses I had been handed uh were in my mind broken. There was some yeah. things that I wasn't okay with and I needed, but I believed in the God that I kind of knew was behind it all. Not the God that I had handles for and the only boxes I could put them in, but a God that existed outside of those boxes and somewhere else. And the moment I started learning about things from a contextual perspective and the same Jewish perspective that I come out of um, thing, I was just like, okay, this is in a lot of ways, I'm not going to say it's the answer to everything. It's one of many beautiful hermeneutics that are out there, but th this is this is what I needed to put the Bible back together for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So you were um, born Jewish, but yet raised Protestant. So yeah, I have. Yep, I have Jewish heritage um, from my paternal side. So I'm I'm kind of a mess. I'm a mutt, which I've been told just makes me more Jewish than anything <laughs> else, but. Um, I, because I, today uh, Orthodox Judaism is going to tie those roots to your maternal lineage, um, and so all my all my Jewish roots lie on my paternal side. Uh, we I wasn't raised in that in that background at all, but I was aware of it. Like we knew it; it wasn't a secret. Um, and uh, and 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 so when I kind of started to unpack all this stuff, I actually had gotten my theology pretty much deconstructed and for the most part reconstructed with new perspective on Paul and a lot of those nuances. And I remember, it's a funny story, I had grown my beard out for no reason, no <laughs> wonderful, I was just being an idiot. It was my wife's idea. I showed up to my last study tour with Ray and walked into the airport and he looked at me and went, oh my goodness, you're Jewish. And I went, well, I mean, yeah, but what? And uh, it was over the course of that trip, some more pieces started to, to fall together. Every time he would, the first few days of the trip, when he, whenever he would talk about Jews, he'd come over and put his hand on my shoulder or he'd point to me from across the way. I was like, what are you, what are you doing? And, uh, and that's when things kind of, at, at one point, somebody called me a semi-Jew and Ray lost his mind and called everybody over and said, you can't do that. If you're a Jew, you're a, you're Jew. a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're not a Jew. And that's just the way that it is. And and uh, that's when it clicked. And I went, oh, and went on this um, little journey where, uh, and Ray was a wonderful mentor. He said, listen, in Christ, I think you've got all the freedom in the world. But he said, I know what you teach your students. And one day you're going to have a student that's going to be listening well enough that he's going to look at you and he's going to say, if that's what you believe, why aren't you eating kosher? Mm. And you just need to know how you're going to answer that question. You don't have to be Jewish, but you need to know how you're going to answer that. And uh, I went home and had a really awkward conversation with my wife. And, uh, and we decided to kind of reclaim that Jewish identity that we thought we were called to as a, as a descended 
juice. So it's, I have, I'm just realizing I have never, I don't even tell that story on my own podcast because it's so <laughs> vulnerable for me because yeah. everybody walks away from that and they all just say, oh, so you're not really Jewish mm. and nothing is more painful uh, as somebody wrestling with their identity and trying to figure out what does it mean to walk as obediently as I, what does it mean to cleave to God mm. as the best of I can with all my heart and all my soul and all my night. Um, so I, I never tell that. I never publish that story. I tell it in person, but there you go. You yeah. got you got the special. Well, you tricked you. me. Yeah. I liked it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that uh, we were talking about how um, you you and Brent have gone through the, the Old Testament. And the reoccurring theme is that um, God just keeps using people um, who make a mess, but yet... He is just so faithful to the people, whereas we are having to deconstruct from this mindset of, no, it's the people that have to be faithful to God nonstop. And if you don't, then, you know, now you have broken this relationship with the Lord. But I hear this reoccurring theme of, man, that teaching of of God walking the blood path alone for Abraham absolutely changed my life. And David Foreman how you reference, thank you for all the references to, I've become a David Foreman geek as well. And so I can't get off his website either. There are days I just get buried and, and I, his stuff is just greatly done as well. So thank you for all the references. And, um, but that's what I keep hearing is, uh, this God that has been with us from, from the very beginning that is faithful, that he has boundless patience. Like there's, there's no, it's a bottomless patience that the Lord has for us. How long did it take you to even get to that that concept? I mean, if you were raised to believe a certain way and you said you had to deconstruct, was I know that journey had to be painful and like you said, reclaiming your identity and um, in terms of a Jewish roots, but just even uh, reclaiming scripture for what it really should say or what it does say. Yeah. Um, no, that's a really good question. Uh, I think for me, let me give credit where credit's due first. I was raised by some great people that loved Jesus very, very much. But my my love for the scriptures comes from um, a, a Christian fundamentalism that said the Bible is more important than anything. Uh, somewhere along the way, enough of these crazy Christian fundamentalists taught me that God loves me. Um, like I had that inherent North star and I had a bunch of theology around it that needed to be deconstructed, but I also had been handed a uh, truth in the midst of all of that mm -hmm. disgusting mess. And that, that lived on. And I think there's a combination of what they handed me and what the Holy spirit and God puts inside of every single one of us. One of my favorite books is prototype by Jonathan Martin. And he talks about this this little boy on a bike. He says inside of every single one of us is a little girl on a trampoline or a little boy on a bike that knows at the underneath it all, one of like one of the most fundamental things that they know is that they're loved. And somewhere along the way we grow old enough that we stop believing that and our insecurities and our fears start to get louder and we start to get too much information and we start to convince ourselves that it's more complicated, that there's more to it. We build all these other systems. And 
those were the things that I knew like they were most true. And when I looked at all this other theology, I knew that it, there was something, there was a dissonance. It wasn't resonating with what was most true. And then when you heard the things that were, you're like, that's it. I know what that is Yeah. because eternity has been set in the hearts of men. Like, the, like there's something deep inside of us that knows. And it's really not about brilliant systematic theologians that's helpful. It's good. It's really not about podcast mine or anybody. It's about this thing that's deep inside of us. And some of these tools God uses to just like turn the lights on sure. right. and remind us of that. And it was, it was a painful process at times. Uh, more anger. I, I dealt with more anger than pain. And a lot of people deal with more pain than anger, but um, it also was really, really good. It was really refreshing. Like I would tell anybody about this. Like I went through a stage of my spirituality where people were like, well, share the gospel. And I would have never said this out loud, but I was like, I don't want to because yeah. I don't, I don't even want it to be true because it's not even good news. Mm. Like it's, it's not good news. Yeah. And, and somewhere along the way we reclaimed the gospel. And when I reclaimed it, I'm like, well, I would tell anybody that. That's exactly where of I feel like we're I at would. now. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I, it, it, you, you've hit the nail on the head for us because we, we too have been on this journey of it's got to work. It's got to work. And so, you know, Dylan's like, Hey, listen to this podcast. And, um, yeah, it was the right tools for us as we are, we're already saying, God, it, there has to be more. And so you're right. It, now it's like, I'll tell anybody this, like, this is irresistible. Like this, this is it. Yeah. And for us, yeah, we've been pastors. Uh, April was six years for me. And I think it's right at six years for you. So we've kind of been on this journey together as pastors. And before that, we were leaders, you know, youth, children, you know, women's, whatever you want to say. And so we, the, the more we dug and the more we had to explain it to kids and youth and even adults, it just made us dig harder because we don't want to hand something. We just don't want to take information that was handed to us and then hand on to someone else. We have to dig through it and and just dig and dig until it resonates with our soul. And and then we feel comfortable and you know, of delivery. And so when we were put in that seat of pastoral ministries, I, that just began to take on a whole new level of uh what is discipleship all about? What is what is, you know, how are we giving this information that we feel like we've gotten from the Lord, like it first has to be transformative for us first before we can even deliver it. And so it was, uh, that was a painful process. It was a fun process though, because we were in this together. It was, um, you know, what Do you think you got mad along the way. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I kind of on the angry side too, <laughs> <laughs> that it was, uh, it, it wasn't as, as painful as it was, you know, angry for me too, because but I did have also people that loved me like without limits. Like there were times that I could just mess up and, you know, there were certain people that I knew were going to kind of, you know, ditch me or shun me or whatever. And then the, the, the next people would, I knew that they would always be that source that I could run to for, um, you know, acceptance or, or whatever. But I just appreciate them because those were faces that maybe people wouldn't have put them behind a pulpit. People wouldn't have put them in those places, but the Lord strategically had them placed uh, during the season of my life. And I can go through and it was like stepping stones, like throughout my life, even in the car ride, 
line, car rider line today. I was picking up my middle schooler and I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm listening to, you know, another one of your podcasts. I'm thinking about the goodness of God and I'm thinking, wow, years ago when I was a girl, you know, prior to life, just unraveling, there was something good about everything about life. There was something good about my parents, good about my upbringing, good about just the trees and, and everything. And then life happened. And, um, you know, hardship happened in our family, you know, and everything wasn't as good. And it's like the Lord was just trying to take me back to where he could say it is good. It is good. So um, I, I see what you're saying too. And I feel like we've just been on that journey together and we've been able to experience that and talk through this um, with each other. So I can't imagine people having to walk this kind of thing. I love the discipleship groups that you and Brent talk about. And if you could talk about those for, for just a moment, like how would someone, what, what's the purpose of the discipleship groups? How did that even start? Um, how long you've been doing them? Um, any insight that you can give us to those groups would be fantastic. Cause I do feel like you need companions for the journey. Yeah. And, that, and that's the foundational belief that the groups are built off of, um, is just that it, you can't study this in a vacuum. I mean, you can, sure. you can study it alone, but it, it's always better. We're always better when we study it and hash it out with other voices. We see it so much richer and fuller that way. So, uh, that's the premise that they're built off of the groups. I really can't tell you much about them at all. There's no science to them. They're all grassroots. Um, we just knew that people had to, we wanted to encourage people to do more than just listen to a podcast. So we had groups when we started um, right here on the Palouse that I ran as a discussion group. It allowed us to kind of interact with the material. And I said, there's no reason that if people love the podcast, they're not going to give it to a friend. And there's no reason those two friends aren't going to want to get together and talk about it. And we wanted right. to actually encourage that. And so that's what the groups are. Now, discipleship for me is a very big passion. And um, and so I would say, and, and I hate getting into the nuances of semantics and, and the words that we choose to use, but one of the things that I learned on my studies in Israel and Turkey, and one of the reasons why I drag students over to the other side of the the planet to go walk in the same dirt that I walked is because I learned all about the rabbinical model of discipleship. And it was this, come follow me 24 seven, 365. You drop everything and you go, you, your whole job is to mimic and to imitate that rabbi with every ounce of passion that you have. And we don't do that anymore in our world. And I don't know if, that's essential. I don't know if that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, go make disciples, because I don't know what Hebrew word he used. I wish we had the Hebrew copy of Matthew because uh, that was a joke. I believe Matthew is <laughs> Hebrew, but nevertheless. Um, so uh, if we did, we could tell what word he used and what kind of disciples he was talking about, because I don't know if that's what he meant when he was uttered the Great Commission. But I came back convinced that that model of discipleship was needed in our world. And so what, when I was on the field doing campus ministry, one of, it was the only reason I got into campus ministry. I actually didn't have a heart for campus. I didn't see the university as my mission field. I came back from Israel and Turkey, and I wanted to find people that I could say, come live life with me, follow me, imitate me, mimic me as I mimic Christ. Like walk in my shoes, eat my food, Let's play together. Let's pray together. Let's do it all together. 
for a, for a season and then we'll send you out to go do it some more, just like Jesus did. And, um, and I got into campus ministry because it was the, one of the only people groups. They, they had their own freedom and autonomy as adults, wow. but yeah. they didn't have careers and mortgages and families and marriages and children. And so that's why I, I, I was drawn to campus ministry. I worked with about nine what I would consider disciples while I was on the field um, very intentionally every single day. They didn't quite live in my house. They lived in a house right next door. It sounds kind of cultish. We didn't. It, it wasn't as bad as it sounds, but it was very, it was very intentional because I wanted to try and experiment with some of these ideas. And and so the Baymoss study is designed to connect us to some of those ideas. Um, we're just wrapping up session three. I'm not sure where you guys are at in the podcast, but we launched session uh, four uh, on the rest of the New Testament tomorrow, oh, wow. um, Thursday, excuse me, Thursday. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and a lot of the stuff we touch on it in session three, we look at it a little bit more in session four. I have no idea what God's going to do with that piece of it. But when I take people over to Israel and Turkey, that is one of the biggest drums that I'm beating while I'm over there is let's go try to make disciples the way that Jesus made disciples. Cause what we talk about as discipleship today is largely not. And that's fine. Right. It's just tomato, tomato. That's, but Thursday morning at Starbucks is not discipleship. Um, you know, the, the groups that we have is a wonderful beginning. It's the fertile soil out of which discipleship can spring. I would very intentionally say our Bay Ma groups, our discussion groups are just that, are just that they're just the soil, but discipleship is going to have to come out of that. Um, so you, you used a word and tapped into one of my passions. So sorry for the little rant there. I'll let you get back to asking me questions. No, that was great. That's all right. That, that was great. Um, and, you know, uh, we're, we really are looking at, um, like she said, especially from, from our position as far as the transformation in, in, in people that God is allowing us to serve. And we're, we're seeing very little of it. So that's why we're asking the question. So Okay, what else is there to do? Um, and what I've witnessed a lot of is when it comes to the Word of God, people usually use that as an independent purpose for themselves. Like they'll stand on one particular scripture for themselves. And um, But when I look at it, I'm like, ah, oh, the Word, it appears to be written for a group of people and not just an individual and, and I, I say that, and I know that not a, that's probably going to raise tension and not set well with a lot of people, but I don't know. What, what is your, your take on that? Where is it possible that we could just take a particular scripture and pluck it out and, you know, write it for ourselves and quote it so many times to only benefit me? Or are we losing the sense of community? Because what I hear you saying is uh, where people would follow a rabbi, a community of people and for intent of a, of a body, of, of a group, and not just an individual. And so, uh, yeah, just give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, if there's a, if there's a hermeneutic, uh, a way of interpreting the scriptures that I um, appreciate beyond my own, it would be a more mystical hermeneutic. Um, and, and, and when I say that, I'm not talking about this cheap mysticism where we just... Like what we do with Instagram, where we take a Bible verse and you version lets you throw a photo behind <laughs> yeah, it. Right. And we exactly. just kind of like screenshot it and not that kind of cheap proof texting. Uh, but but I mean a 
a good, thorough belief that as we study scripture, the Holy Spirit works now, today, to, to move and to teach and to instruct and to use it and to speak to us and that the word interacts with us. That, that is a hermeneutic I deeply respect. I, I have a hard time resonating with it because I'm less mystical and I'm more cerebral. I'm more objective. I'm more intellectual, if you will. So, um, but in my hermeneutic, and I believe even, I mean, voices from the kind of hermeneutic I'm talking about, people like Richard Rohr, uh, those kind of deep mystical thinkers that want to connect with the text that way. Um, They're not going to treat it as this cheap proof texting. It's something rooted in a much deeper, wider appreciation for what's going on in the Bible. Right. The hermeneutic that I use and that I cling to and that I think is a part of a conversation. I don't think the conversation is one hermeneutic. I think it's a tapestry of a lot of hermeneutics done well done appropriately. And that's why all the voices in this thing called the body of Christ are so important. And it's why it's important that I do my part because I have a part in that. But, but no, my hermeneutic does not believe the Bible is written to me. Um, The Bible is a library of inspired authoritative conversations between an author and their audience. And that conversation uh, is what's inspired. And that's what we have to seek to understand And none of those conversations am I the direct audience. Secondary audience, sure, but but not the direct audience. Um, uh, And so when I'm studying the Torah, the Torah was written for a group of people thousands of years ago for a purpose. Um, The prophets were written to a group of people. Uh, When Paul, we get to the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew is written to a particular audience. So is Mark and Luke and John. They're all unique. When, when Paul writes to Philippians, it's not the same audience as when he writes to Ephesians. And it's not the same as when he writes to Corinth or to Rome, which is why Paul seems so schizophrenic. So understanding <laughs> the scriptures is essential. Understanding the context is essential. So when we read the Bible just as a personal communication, I, I want to be careful never to throw it out sure. because God's been working in spite of really bad theology for thousands of years. And that's, I praise him for that. Yeah, me too. But we also have, once we know, we now know. And so once we know, we've got we've to ask better questions. We've got to learn how to interact with the text in a better way. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would affirm what you're, what you're getting at without trying to say that God's not working in some of those other spaces as well. But there's a, there's a right and a wrong way to engage these texts. I uh, I laughed at a podcast where Brent was saying something similar about the Psalms. He said that he, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, that he looked at the Psalms historically, like where he could just pluck out one to identify whatever mood he was going in or whatever struggle. And like, oh yeah, I can resonate with David, where those were written for the community of people to, uh, you know, sing or whatever. And I'm like, ah, and I think that's when I just started thinking like, oh, wow, this is written for a community of people. And, um, so I I appreciate that. Yeah. You were saying, Paul, you just, uh, you, it's really funny when you say Paul's looking a little schizophrenic, because I think sometimes I feel a little schizophrenic when I'm thinking about just the different things that the Lord's doing. And he brings, I love how you said the tapestry, everything just kind of works together. And, 
we have been using a term lately of uh, leaders being predictable. And a lot of times when you have leaders that are predictable, they're going to um, be put in positions and places because they can be predictable. And so when you talked about Paul, um, the only thing that's predictable about Paul is knowing that he is going to be a follower of Jesus. And so when you were talking about all these different books that you, Paul's not, you know, he, he does something different, but yet he is still that follower of Jesus for the different communities. So Paul, in a sense, is predictable to be a follower of Jesus, but not predictable in a sense of you really can't predict what he's going to do because he's just going to do whatever, you know, he needs to do for them. So I appreciate that. I do love how you are so gentle with the audience. Um, I am actually, I've, I've made it through uh, the first session and um, I actually started the third session and I know you say, just go straight through it. And I thought my personality would say, go straight through it. Confessing yeah, today. I'm confessing today because <laughs> I'm just like, look, I, really, I get on her. I'm like, you're not supposed to jump ahead. But I did. I needed, <laughs> I needed something out of the gospels. And so I thought I'm going to go ahead and start session three. So I was overlapping one and three and it was wild how it still was just fitting together. And so I am through, uh, session one, I'm into session two, and I'm still picking up, you know, three as I go. And I really do appreciate it. I don't recommend it, like you say, for, um, for everyone to do it that way. But there was just something and my personality would say just go in order. But for some random reason, you know, I was doing that. But I love how gentle you are with the listeners of this may be a little tough for you. You know, if you've never thought about it this way, just just kind of hang in there with us. You save some parts for later because you know that there has to be like a deeper and broader, and wider understanding before they can get to those difficult parts. Um, at first, when I'm listening, I thought, man, you know, like I'm wanting to just be mad at like Western Christianity. And then you got to the part where you talked about that, you know, we can't just abandon the West. Like there's a certain beauty that the the Westerners bring to the text as well as the Easterns bring to the text. And that's where I really found, you know, the peace. And I really found like, okay, we don't have to try to, you know, be Easterners in this Western culture or anything. We just have to be followers of Jesus and we have to understand the beauty that the Lord brings. So is, is there anything that you can shed light on, on that maybe more than you've been in this a lot longer than I have. It's just these things I hear you say, I'm like, I'm so glad that he's just, you're just so, the, the way, you know, you teach and you talk is just so gracious uh, for those who will be on this journey. Yeah. I just always, I felt a personal call. I feel like God's called me to, to talk to the group that I've been raised by. They're my mission field. Um, and I get it because I came from that world. I know that my my parents and my mom and my mentors and my Sunday school teachers, I know how badly they love Jesus. I know where they're coming from. I, I know why they think what they think. I can't pin the blame on any one pastor, any one thinker, any one generation. We're all a part of this big mess. And I can, I can on a real macro level, I can understand where the mess came from, but it's impossible for me to blame anybody, which is a good thing. Yeah. And so my call is to go and speak back to that group of people and to say, hey, I get it. I know why you're scared. Like, I know where the theology comes from. Let's just ask some questions about that. Because I think if you learn that it's okay to ask questions, you're going to realize how flimsy some of this stuff is, this theological house of cards we've built. And if it's okay to let it tumble, we might be able to build something a little bit more stout and perhaps a little bit more true 
but I've always felt like, and I really mean that. And, and I've been places where I, I haven't seemed as gentle because I believe the church is in my, in my mind, just personally, no grandiose statements. I think the church is the mission field. I, I very rarely spend time with non-believers uh, yeah. and walk out of that conversation going, boy, they're in trouble. They are, they are, they're in danger of an eternity. But I often leave a church meeting and go, that was so jacked up. We are in, <laughs> we are in, we are in danger of fiery, yeah. fiery yeah. judgment. Yeah. And so at, that's why I want to speak. I, I, I want to speak softly because those are my, like I have the same heart for my church people as a lot of people have for the lost. Yeah, uh, right. Which is good, and I'm gonna let I'm gonna let God do that. Like that's awesome. I'm glad He's called us to that. Um, but I I see church people as sheep without a shepherd. Uh, my my splunk nun, my bowels ache at church, um, and and it has and God loves it. God loves the church. He loves everybody in there. Uh, I think He grieves. He mourns, he weeps with some of the stuff that we get wrong. And it's where I'm at. It's where I want to be. I want to be right there. Well, Marty, and, here's, uh, so. here's a lighter question. Um, I guess this is probably two questions. On your journey of deconstructing, what was the one thing that you discovered? Like, you're like, I didn't know it was there. I'll, I'll go first in telling you what um, I discovered with your podcast that I didn't know was there. And um, I'd like for you to explain it a little more other than you're probably going to be like, there's nothing to explain. I did not know that Noah, um, that his son castrated him. Like when you said that, like that was possibly one of the, I had to go back and reread it. I'm like, Oh my, you know, it's one of the things I told Marie, like Sam, like, are you kidding me? Did you know this happened to Noah? She's like, I think I heard that before. Uh, my husband and I were riding in a car. We first heard it. I actually had to look it up. You know, uh, I was fact check checking you, you know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is like a real thing. So for me, that was the one thing that I've discovered um, that was like, I didn't know that. So for you, as you're reconstructing, what was the one thing that you discovered that was like, I, I, I didn't know that was there? Uh, kind of like a, I don't know, not necessarily a fun fact, but like, a, oh, that really happened. And and that Noah for you to lean into more of that teaching, what brought that about? Oh, man. Uh, I have had so, so many of those moments and still do today. Um, I, I still listen to rabbis and other teaching and something gets opened up and I'm like, oh, my <laughs> goodness. I just, last time I preached a sermon, the last sermon I yeah. preached was <laughs> <Retract>. team teaching. <laughs> Yeah, was team teaching with a gal, uh, the youth pastor at our church, and she brought me a midrash I had never heard before about the woman at the well in John chapter four. And I was like, what? And I had to go back and find the midrash and read it all. And it floored me. It blew my mind. Um, so that kind of stuff is happening uh, all the time. I mean, I think some of the biggest pieces that I can remember making a massive difference for me Um are, big, are kind of bigger theological packages and not little passage treasures, but like new perspective on Paul to figure out, to, to have learned about 
the mix-up Ma'aseha Torah. This is all coming in session four, by the way. But go back and listen to session two. You have to listen to session two. I, I listen. You're not allowed. I'm listening okay, to you. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I'm on David right now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, some of that stuff, some of the things, learning what Paul's actually talking about when he talks about the law and the law being dead or us not being under the law. Like we've recently discovered with the with the discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in the last 30 or 40 years. We we have recently discovered what Paul is saying, and we we've been getting it wrong for like 1700 years, which is okay because God still loves us and we're all okay. Yeah. But we've been getting it wrong. And so some of those things when you open it up, you're like, oh, this is this is this is this beautiful continuation of the same story in the Old Testament. This is so right. This is so, or, or to study Revelation in Turkey and to have Revelation finally, like, boom, it clicks, it makes sense. And you realize, and it took me three days of thinking I understood it before it finally clicked in its entirety. And I realized that these ancient apostles were putting text to context and, and and all of a sudden, like the floodgates just, there are moments like those that have been, those are a couple examples. The Noah thing was just one of, I mean, I went on the same journey that you go on in session one of the podcast. I went through it myself with largely with David Foreman, but Rabbi Foreman, but just every time you turn the page, you're floored at what's in there mm-hmm. to learn about chiasms, to, to see them at work, to realize you've got this one thread being woven through a series of stories that it's all coming together to have that same, to have that same moment that you had in the car where it's like, and, and it somewhere about there for me, sometimes it takes people longer, sometimes earlier, but about that moment was where I finally embraced Midrash for what it was as in not literal history, but not fairy tale, like something in the middle. It's like a tool that this Eastern mind uses. To un- so did Noah's son really castrate Noah? I don't know. It's not the point of the Midrash. Like that's, I, I finally was like, oh, this is brilliant. Whether he, whether he castrates him or not, that Midrash opens up what's going on in the text that I wasn't, I was just reading over. Mm-hmm. And now because the Midrash says it, you're like, what? Right. And you, you look at it. And you go, oh my goodness, he curses the grandson. Right. Why would he curse the grandson if it's not for, oh, this is all about his posterity. This is about his grudge. Because whatever Ham's done, Noah feels like it's robbed him of his own posterity. So now he's going to, oh, wow. And it just makes the story. It's so much more than a morality code, which is all I was ever right. taught the Bible right. was. Right. You're Look just reading each story. Yeah. 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 You're just reading the story to figure out who broke the rules. And what happens when you break the rules? Right. And it's just not that. It's about who God is and who we are and why we sin. Not what sin is, but why we sin in the first place. Like that kind of mind-blowing moment. So, yeah. Don't know if I answered your question in the midst of all that rambling. That's good. And I guess for me, uh, just in the session three, the part of the soil, when you were talking about the four types of soil, and a lot of times we put ourselves in there as if we are the sower and we are going to scatter the seed on whatever type of soil. But then if we put ourselves in place of the soil, then that's a whole different lens. And the thing is about the soil, we can we can uh, condition, not condition, but we can 
cultivate our soil to become the good soil. We may be the rocky soil or the thorny, thorny soil or the path. I love that. I mean, that was just, that was fire for me. But then um, one day uh, last week, I guess I was reading the part of uh, Jesus when he talks about turning the other cheek. I listened to your podcast on that, that par- portion of that. And there was another book that I'm reading, Compassion and Practice by Frank Rogers. And he says the exact same thing. I am taking this book very slowly so that it can sink in. And so I thought how ironic for me to hear that podcast about turning the other cheek and then read the same text in a totally different book um, and, and it have the same meaning. I have never heard the meaning of turning the other cheek. Uh, can you just kind of shed some light on that? for for just a moment yeah that whole block of teaching that jesus gives right there about uh being sued for your garments turning the other cheek carrying the pack is uh i mean oftentimes we either kind of explain it away or ignore it or we those that want to be uh, take a more pacifist view just kind of quote it and and use it that way and yet it lacks the context and so when Jesus speaks of if somebody strikes you on the on the right cheek, and Jesus specifies which cheek, which is important, because if somebody's going to strike you in that culture, you only interact with another human being with your right hand, because your left hand you use for other business, right. and you don't do anything <laughs> with, with human beings with that hand. So even if you're going to hit somebody, you don't hit them with that hand. So if you're going to hit somebody on the right cheek with your right hand, The only way you're going to do that is to backhand somebody, which in that ancient Roman world was a way of, you would only backhand a slave. You would backhand somebody that was beneath you, under you. It was a way of of dehumanizing them. And so when Jesus says, turn to them your other cheek, it's this loaded, subversive move of, I'm not going to return violence for violence. I'm going to show, I'm going to show this violence for what it is to everybody who's watching. Everybody's going to see and know that this is not right. But if you're going to hit me again, you can hit me like a real human being. And you can hit me on my with a full fist on my left cheek. I will not be hitting you back. But I will also not let me treat you like, treat me like less than a human being. And and and, and the suing a cloak, I, we're talking about the, the haluk versus the talit. The talit is your outer robe. If you're suing somebody for their outer robe, that means they have no other property left. You're down to their property. They're suing you for your outer robe. Jesus says, just hand them your haluk. Like if, if that's how people are going to, if people are so after you that they're going to destroy you to that extent, just hand them your undergarments and just, just let the whole world see the injustice. And you're not going to sue them back, nor are you going to fight for your rights, but you're also not going to let this injustice go unattended. If a, if a soldier under the, under the rules of Angaria, the Roman rules of Angaria forces you to carry a pack one mile, which was was uh, totally okay by Roman law. But they could not if they went more than a mile. They were now breaking Roman law. So so Jesus says, if they want to force you to carry their pack, don't complain, don't fight back, don't write a nasty Facebook post. <laughs> carry their pack, and then keep carrying their pack. Because now all of a sudden they're going to have to go uh, stop, please, mm-hmm. or they're going to be breaking. You have now shown the injustice. You're coming up with these creative third ways to to deal with injustice, which is not returning violence for violence, yeah. but nor is it just taking it and being a doormat. 
And this is the kind of brilliance that Jesus demonstrates over and over and over again throughout his teachings that says, engage this, engage empire, but don't engage empire on its imperial terms, engage it on kingdom terms and trust in the truth of justice. Now, a lot of people are going to die in that process. Yeah. Like a lot of people are going to suffer, but truth will win out because of, and we've seen that. We've seen it throughout our own history, Martin Luther King, all those, all those fine individuals that have shown us the power of nonviolent resistance. It's, it's, yeah, that's one of those moments of context changing everything when you learn it. Yeah. I love that passage. I really did. So well, Marty, I, um, you have any other questions for Marty? Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah uh, since um, you're at Impact Campus Ministries and also the, the uh, BMI uh, Dis- Discipleship uh, podcast, is there any, anything that you would like our um, audience to know? Uh, not really other than my Israel trips, like come join me. Like I'm always looking to fill seats. I've got a low contact Israel trip right now, which is a special trip. I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but I've designed it for those people that can't do the hiking. Uh, my study tours are uh, really physically strenuous. We hike about seven to 12 miles a day. It's uh, 120 degrees in the Negev desert. It's 1,800 feet of elevation change. Like we're going to try to engage the story and experience the story, not just go take a bunch of photos. But this tour in particular is one that I've designed for people that could physically never do that. And uh, I'm having a hard time filling my seats. So if anybody's in that situation, they can't do all the hiking. They want to come to Israel with me, have them sign up and come with me. You can get the information on our website and find out where to register and have them come. What's that website, Marty? The BMADiscipleship.com. So B-E-M-A discipleship.com. Don't go to .org. It's an old site. You don't want that. Go to .com. Big picture of me leading a trip on the front page. Can't miss it. <laughs> uh, well, Marty, thank you so thank much you. for being with us. It was uh, such an honor to have you on. Absolutely. I, it's fun to meet people that listen and, and be a part of their own things, too. So it's, it's a great time for me. Yeah. And I, I believe that there's some of there's a group in my area, um, Columbia, South Carolina. So um, I'm, I'm going to have to look those guys up. So look them up. Yeah. My Carolina peeps are good people. I know a lot of them personally are good friends of mine. So, yep. All right. Well, thanks again, Marty. Thank tell, you. Tell Absolutely. Brent we said hello. I will. He's, uh, <laughs> everybody wants more Brent Billings. I'll, I'll let them know. All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Marty. Bye-bye. Yep. Have a good one. Well, there you have it, folks. Marty Solomon. If you liked some of the things Marty was saying or just interested to learn more, check out the Bama Discipleship Podcast. We also have a link to the book Prototype he recommends and more information on the Israel trip, which seems like it would be an amazing experience. If you want to let us know your thoughts on today's episode or just say hi, we're on Facebook as Pastors of a Dying Church or on Instagram as well. Thanks for listening. And see you next week. Music you're listening to is brought to you by Jablo Sounds. You can find more about this artist in the episode description.